With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. and baseball fans everywhere. My name is Michael Lacolin, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. And on behalf of my partners, Sam and Rich, I welcome you to a Metsian podcast. Now, Rich won't be with us. He's away on business. And Sam, there's a 50-50 chance he may uh, make this evening's show pop in and pop out. Uh, that said, let me bring on our guest with haste. He's a friend of the show. He's Gary Mack. You can catch him on Mets Musings. So, Gary, welcome to the show. Welcome back. And as I said to you before, happy belated New Year. I believe this is the first time you're speaking in 2020. Tell us what you're doing and where we can find it. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's it's always a pleasure to be on with you and uh, Sam and Rich when they're available. Um, I'm still doing my uh, Mets Musings podcast, and that's available at MetsMusings.com or at Anchor dot fm slash Mets Musings. You can get it there. You can get it on uh, uh, Radio Public, Overcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. It's all over the place. You should be able to find it. And uh, I also do a golf podcast for those golfers out there. There's got to be Mets fans that are golfers, right? I'm so, sure. Uh, you can listen to uh, Talking Golf with Gary, and it's at TalkingGolfWithGary.com, and go check that out. My friend, let's jump into, you know, the great topic of conversation this off season, which was, uh, you know, the deal that never was. Remember, let's make a deal on TV with Monty Hall. Remember all the goofiness and chicanery that used to go on on that show? Well, I, I would say this is, <laughs> I would say this is no different. Uh, you know, where do, where do we begin? Uh, Back in December, when news broke out that Steve Cohen was going to purchase the team, Metsville was doing backflips. And here we are, the deal is dead, officially. Uh, We'll get into the details of that in a second, you know, but, Gary, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, and, and first, you know, I have an old saying, once is an occurrence, twice is a coincidence, and three times is a trend. And I say that because if we rewind the Mets clock back to the partnership between Doubleday and Wilpon, uh, Nelson, you know, he never read the fine print. He got duped uh, the hard way. And then, uh, you know, there was the negotiations with uh, Mr. Einhorn that also fell apart like wet toilet paper. And here we are 
uh, with Steve Cohen, and you know this was one of the more ponderous negotiations that you know I've ever heard of. I, you know, party A sells item to party B. It should be that easy, but in this instance, it just wasn't. So you know your overall observations of, like I said, the deal that never was. Well, you know, I was excited at first, but I, I could never understand the deal with, you know, somebody giving – I wish somebody would give me $2.6 billion and let me run everything still. It just didn't make sense, the whole five-year thing, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately with everything going on, and, and I really think that part of it uh, – was uh, to get Jeffrey uh, Wilpon to uh, Social Security age. I mean, he's 57, 58. Five years would have put him at 62. Uh, and then the rumor was he pushed for more years. So I, I, I'm really thinking that the guy never worked a day in his life other than for the Mets. And that's not to say he didn't work. I shouldn't say he never worked. But I think it was one of the reasons was to get him to Social Security. Um but the whole thing was just stupid, I thought, from the beginning. You buy a team, you buy a team. Forget about the 80%. Buy the 100%. Uh, and then SNY is not included. And what about the uh, what about the, the Cyclones and, and uh, the Syracuse Mets? Are they included as well? It, it's a very confusing deal. It should have been all-inclusive, all big, one big package, everything thrown in for whatever, $3.5 billion more money, because don't forget, the 2.6 he was going to pay was for 80% of the team. So that's got to mean the team's got to be worth, you know, at least over $3 billion then, maybe 3.5 if you throw in SNY or something like that. Um, it's It was just, a, from the beginning, it just didn't smell right, the whole deal. And, um, you know, these guys are getting old. They want to get rid of the team, and I understand they want to save it for Jeffrey, but nobody wants the team. And it's not that it's because it's the Mets. They, it's, they, they, you know, none of Saul Katz, uh, his, um, his children want to be involved in the, in the, the running, running a baseball team, and they don't, I don't think they want to work with Jeff Wilpon. The only one that wants anything out of this is Jeff Wilpon, and, and He's going to get a large amount of cash. He don't have to work till he gets Social Security. So I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, go get a minor league team then because that's up in, in the air too. But uh, go do that if you want to own a team and, and leave the Mets alone. And, I mean, now they're going to you know see what happens. I had a guy on the other day on Mets Musings, the guy that broke the story, the initial story, uh, about uh, that the deal was in uh, jeopardy. Uh, the guy from the New York Post, Thornton McEnery, and I uh, had him on the show, and he, he kind of felt the deal was going to be dead, and lo and behold, um, uh, it was dead the next day or so, within the next 24, 48 hours after he was on. But, you know, there's another player in all of this, that, and there's a connection to something else with the Mets in the offseason, and that's Rob Manfred. And I am not a fan of Rob Manfred, those, those those people that know me. And he's got a big part to play in this as well. Uh, nor am I not a fan of Manfred. I agree with you. I'm in lockstep with you on that one. You bring up a great point about Brooklyn and Syracuse, what happens to them. 
And as you say, you know, SNY is not part of this deal. So that just makes me ask, why would somebody step up and pony up all this money if the if the network isn't involved? Because that's the cash cow. You're asking mm-hmm. somebody to take on, you're asking somebody to buy this team and take on roughly $50 million in annual debt because of City Field. Uh, you know, who's going to do that? Who's going to step up? I'm not saying that it's out, out of the realm of possibility, but... I'm curious as to who would do that. Now, the latest, well, a recent report uh, that came out today from uh, Bloomberg says that the Mets will be put on sale and that there will be no preconditions uh, with regards to organizational control. So, Gary, i got to ask you, if that's the case, that the team is now up for sale with no preconditions and that let's assume somebody buys, you know, I guess 80% uh, power would be indeed vested in the purchaser. Uh, so what the hell was this all about with Steve Cohen and this five-year window? I now, don't know. I, that I, was... can only, I can only assume that they must have pissed off Cohen so badly that he wants nothing more to do with this. And here we are, well, the team's for sale with no preconditions. And they threw him under the bus. I mean, Manfred threw him under the bus. He, sure he came out and literally cut his throat and said uh, it, was, it wasn't the Wilpons. It was all Steve Cohen. Now we're finding out that, no, it was Jeff Wilpon wanting more years added on to his uh, being in charge. And, and it really wasn't Cohen. And maybe maybe if Jeff Wilpon came out and said, well, I want another five years. Maybe Cohen said, well, then I want a lower price. That's possible. But the, but the, why did Manfred – this is the second time during this offseason. Manfred has come out, though. He, he came out with this Houston Astros cheating scandal and named Carlos Beltran as the only player was named on that. Only right. player named. And he either forced them – or he he got the Mets, however, to to jump to him and fire Beltron because he didn't want Beltron around. Then I, I believe that I could be wrong, but this is my belief. I believe once this came out that he wanted to get revenge and he couldn't do it on Beltron because he was a player at the time. He said he wasn't going to suspend players, but now he had Beltron in his grasp because of the Mets hiring for uh, the manager's job. So he got him fired. Now he owed the Mets. So what does he do? He throws Cohen, Cohen under the bus and and gives the Mets what they want in return. This, this whole thing stunk from high heaven. And now, you know, the big question is, I saw somebody on Facebook, right? Well, why can't Cohen come back then and say, well, here's, you know, $3 billion. Give me the whole thing now. But yeah. now it's now it's not because uh, because Manfred has poisoned him with the rest of the owners, and I'm sure Wilpon has been poisoning him with the rest of the owners, much like they did Einhorn. They were going behind yep. Einhorn's back and poisoning the rest of the owners to vote against a certain part of the contract. You don't do that. Then just pull it out of the, you know, if you don't like it, then you negotiate it out of the contract. But they were going back to to poison the owners against them, and that's why I would be concerned if I was Cohen. 
uh, I would have been concerned about this five-year deal because they had five years still in charge to pour. What happens at the end of the fifth year after he's put money into this team that the owner said, we're not going to approve you? And then what? Is he get back the money? Is he out the money? What's what's the deal then? Because that's similar to wanted. Einhorn wanted his money back if he didn't get approved or uh, something to that effect. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Manfred's got his fingerprints all over this, and I, I don't like that, and uh, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I think they should be, uh, you know, I've never said they should be forced to sell because you can't force somebody, but if they're that much in debt, and I would like to see the banks force them to sell. Call in all the loans. Uh, apparently, there was an article a few months ago that they were $350 million in that vicinity in debt, and the, the company was only worth $280 million. Call in those loans, and uh, if they can't pay it, then they have to sell the team, and they have to take the highest bidder. Um, that's what I would like to see. I don't know if that's going to happen. It's you know, it could be done, but I doubt if that's what's going to happen. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of chicanery going on here behind the scenes that we don't know about. But there are little bits and pieces that you see and you start putting the puzzle together. And, you know, I, I feel kind of bad for Saul Katz in a way because this he wants out. He's, what, I don't know, in his 70s, 80s or something. He wants out, and yet... He's got a family. This is why it's no good to be in business with family. Because, uh, you know, he, I was thinking, couldn't he just sell his shares to, to uh, um, or or I guess they're in a partnership, so maybe he doesn't have his shares alone. I, I don't know. Or, or why aren't the Wilpons then, if they want to hold on to this team so much, why aren't they buying Saul Katz's uh, shares out? I don't know. The whole thing is just very confusing. Uh, and, and apparently that's, uh, you know, close and parcel of dealing with the will punch. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> close that, let's, let's close that segment of the offseason out uh, simply by saying, you know, the team is indeed up for sale still. Uh, no preconditions. Allen and Company, and this is according to the Bloomberg article, Allen and Company will begin new sales process for Mets immediately. Uh, so there we are. Uh, Gary, let's take this onto the field. Let's talk about uh, Brody Van Wagenen's second offseason as general manager. Uh, and let's review some of his transactions and try to give this offseason a grade uh, before we move on. Uh, as everyone knows, uh, he transacted for pitchers Rick Porcello, Michael Walker, uh, Brad Brack is in, in the fold, and Della Patantis has been brought on board to shore up the bullpen. Uh, before we get into all those invitees and whatnot, uh, you know, that was the extent of his off-season acquisitions, uh, at least the notable ones. So, you know, with all the shenanigans that took place over the sale of the Mets or, or, or lack thereof, uh, the managerial uh, mess, you know, having to release Beltran or, you know, him agreeing to step away and replacing him with Luis Rojas. In conjunction with those player transactions, Gary, how would you rate 
the New York Mets most recent off season? You know, it's uh it's a good question. Uh I'm gonna give him a B and I I I think that uh not making a trade to bring in a big name and, and further depleting the farm system um, and again, I'm not against it depending upon who the trade was. I was against it last year because I thought that was a bad trade and it pointed out that it was. Uh, but, I mean, had they had to get rid of somebody to bring in, uh, say, uh, a Lindor or a, a Bryant or an Arenado, something like that, I, I could I could agree with that depending upon what extent it went to. But I'm going to give him a B for not making the Marte trade uh, for, uh, you know, holding his ground there. And I do like the Porcello and uh, the Waka signings and the Batanza signings. It's it's a little bit, a little bit, if you will, out of the Sandy Alderson uh, uh, playbook, uh, getting some, I don't know if you call them retreads in this instance, but uh to a higher a higher level uh signings than they they used to do uh getting people off the scrap heap these guys were 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 some proven good pitchers and uh ran into some problems either with uh teaching or with the injuries or whatnot so i i kind of approve i i think he did an okay job. Um, I think there's some other things behind the scenes that, that I've been reading about that seem like um, maybe he has an idea or he's got a different philosophy than in the past. They're talking about the Mets way that they have put together a system of how to, to teach and how to uh, train these guys and stuff. So I'm interested in seeing more about that. Uh, that might be a good thing uh, to have a consistency throughout the system which is something that they never had. Uh, I'm a little disappointed with the firing of uh, Edgardo Alfonso. I, I never saw that coming. have no idea why they did that in the offseason. The guy wins a championship, and then they they let him go. I mean, you know, I thought for sure they'd promote him, if anything, but just to let him go. Um, and, of course, the, uh, um, the I, I think – but. It wasn't all on on uh, Brody, uh, the firing of Beltron or the letting go of Beltron or whatever you want to call it, and uh, the musical chairs that took place after that. That couldn't have been. It wasn't all on Beltron. I mean, all on uh, Brody. Yet that's the ownership really should have stuck to their guns. But I think he did an okay job this uh, this winter. Um, not the best, but uh, not the worst either. Gary, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you read my mind. I give them a B. I contemplated a B minus, but uh, you know the way they uh, negotiated the manager's dilemma. Uh, you know, I, I'm inclined to give him a firm B. At this point, I'd like to bring in Sam Maxwell, our hit and run artist. What's up, partner? <laughs> What's going on, guys? I'm staring at the skyline as I go down the 14th Street promenade of. Uh, Union City to Hoboken, Jersey City to Hoboken as well. And um, uh, just hearing all this, I'm going to jump right in with, he said, you know, kind of uh, Brody doing the Sandy Alderson philosophy. And um, without really uh, repeating 
some stuff that you you said, Gary, because I, I did agree with a lot of uh, things that you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder whether it's not the Sandy Alderson philosophy; it's the Jeff Wilpon philosophy. Uh, that seems to be uh, really where you know. Last year, you were trying to make make your name, trying to make some big splashes. You had you know names, and it's kind of the reason why Carlos Beltran was hired. Even though I, I would have liked to have seen him see what he could have done uh but at the same time you know that's why maybe sandy alderson worked so perfectly for the jeff wilpon philosophy because uh he was used to doing it in oakland um and certainly did not really really have a a strong opinion about giving out seven-year contracts to begin with one way or the other but you know I, i you you wonder you know somebody who uh, has started a trend in uh, management with uh, the the uh, the Knicks now going for a former agent as well. Um, you know, you you have. To, I always I keep saying about Brody, like there's no way that he doesn't want to give players money, like and and big big players. I, I just I can't see him. You know, having come from being a player agent, uh, uh, I, I just think that, you know, I mean, you know, and maybe he does. Maybe he he certainly doesn't think there should be a ten-year deal uh, for all of these guys. But like, you, it just doesn't seem to fit, if you will, for somebody who used to negotiate this for the other side. That he wouldn't want to. That that, he, that even though now he's negotiating on the other side, he still wouldn't want to keep some of that that type of philosophy that these guys are, are the bread and butter of the entertainment business that we're in. Um, but you know, I, I, it's just, it's Jeff Wilpon, I feel. And with everything that we've heard, you know, for a relatively quiet off season, it's been pretty loud. Uh, and you know, I, I know I just got here and you were asking specifically about Brody with Gary, but broad strokes. Um, I, 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 will grade Brody's entire tenure so far as incomplete because, you know, who knows where, where one begins and the other ends. If you understand that's, uh, you know, it, it, Jeff, Jeff Wilfon, this guy really does see himself as this master executive. And, you know, we, we all, we all make mistakes, but you, you, you hope that in life, you can really truly look in the, the mirror and figure out whether you've been effective. Can Jeff Wilpon do that with the last 20 years of Mets baseball? They've had some successes here and there, but the number one thing I was worried about coming into 2015 was that this was just going to be yet another one of those little moments that they, they mess up, that they don't carry the momentum into something a little bit more sustained. Now, mind you, 2019, they kind of got back to winning ways and somewhat, but they, they needed to have yet another magical run to do so. And uh, they missed the playoffs uh, when they did that. So, you know, usually they have a longer string of losing seasons after their two-in-a-row winning seasons. Uh, this bucking the trend just a tad. But so far, you know, you – you know, and he's probably like we're talking about Brody putting something together that is a partially an adjustment on Jeff Wilpon's part. But right now, you know, 
even the family has come to a crossroads that this isn't working out. Yet, Jeff doesn't – Jeff and maybe Fred, too, doesn't want to hear that they have to be gone so suddenly. So I, I have to grade it incomplete because you wonder – and obviously, you know, who knows whether the ownership would even keep Brody on board. But Brody, Brody right now is, is fighting for his life from an executive perspective. And this season – and his future after the Wilfons are gone is, is a uh, – this is a very important moment in what – where Brody Van Wagenen goes in uh, baseball as well as in his uh, his professional career. Well, the players that he brought into the fold are going to have a lot to say about that. You know, they're ultimately going to decide whether he stays or go, whether it's this ownership or the next. Uh, are you sticking around for a little bit, Sam? Oh, Sam. Sam, we lost. We lost Sam. I'm sure he'll be back. Sam, uh, hello, hello, Sam. <laughs> how, how long? Are you, yeah. How long are you with yeah. us, Sam? Ah, that's what you asked. I apologize. I was in between some some things. Uh, I'll be in and out uh, most likely right now. Um, I'm just grabbing my food uh, that I was going to eat before the Oscars get going. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm out here lift driving. Uh, who knows if people are actually having parties like they used to? It seems like it's probably a little faded out, but uh, I'm still going to try to take advantage from a lift perspective of the uh, the Oscar night. All right, so let us continue taking our first few steps into the 2020 season. Spring training is upon us. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow, Monday. Uh, very happy about that. So let's start talking about pitchers and catchers. And uh, in reverse order, I figure we start with catchers. Uh, obviously, Wilson Ramos is the starter. No debate there. Uh, I would only say about him that uh, he needs to be cut down to about 110 games, I would say. Otherwise, the big debate this spring is going to be over who his backup will be. Uh, Thomas Nito, Ali Sanchez are in the conversation, we've brought back we've the Mets brought back Rene Rivera uh, and David Rodriguez, who comes out of the Rays system, has been signed and is in camp or will be in camp. Uh, non roster invitees Patrick Mazika and Austin Boston Bozart. So one of these guys is ultimately going to win the backup position. I was wondering if you guys had any had any thoughts as to who would win it, who the incumbent might be. I'll throw it out there. I want Rene Rivera. I like his hands. He has soft hands, and uh, you know, I I, I my pri- my primary uh, point of emphasis behind the plate is a is a receiver. I need a receiver first and foremost. So if the Mets can manage Ramos's uh, innings and his games, uh, and bring in Rivera as a late inning replacement. You know, depending on the situation of any given game, that's the way I would head into the season. So, what say you, Sam? I'll get you first, being that you might pop out of here. Oh, Sam, going once, going twice. Gary, the floor is yours. Hello, Hello. you keep you keep asking me uh, to say stuff. As I'm like transitioning from from outside to back into the car, the, the Bluetooth switches over. You know what I'm saying? Um, you want a second? Want a second to think about that? No, I need you to repeat the last part. 
All right. Uh, you know, who the incumbent as to who uh, the backup catcher might be this season. Yeah. So I was totally ready. I was totally uh, ready to agree with you. I completely agree. I, I don't think that we need to be uh, Tomas Nido, Nido, Nidoing it, excuse me. Um, Rene Rivera is a professional. He's got a little bit more pop than, than uh, Nido, even if you're going to get like similar in terms of the average. It's just going to be about like 222, 230 most likely overall. But uh, he seems to sometimes have an idea um, of big, you know, big moments, big home runs, um, and really helped, I think, with that drive of 2016 in an immense way. And the last time that Noah Syndergaard uh, was really, you know, consistently an ace. And um, he's a receiver back there, like you said, Mike. Uh, he knows what he's doing back there. And, and I, it's not a detriment that he's 35 years old at this point because, you know, he, had, he he's a backup catcher. He doesn't really receive all that much as much as uh, the other one. So, yeah, I think, I think he's a perfect complement to uh, Wilson Ramos. And he'll probably end up being uh, Noah Syndergaard's personal catcher. and. I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, it's just we, we need to maximize everything, and I think we do that better with Rene Rivera at the major league level. And I'll just repeat the names again. The non-roster invitees at catcher are Patrick Mazika and Austin Bosart, uh, and they did sign uh, to a minor league contract and invited him to spring training, David Rodriguez, a raised product. So, Gary, what say you about the backup? Ah, well, I I do like Tomas Nito. Uh I like Rene Rivera. Uh both of them are capable. I think uh Sam makes a good point. Rivera's a better power hitter, got a little bit more pop, uh and uh, is a, a very good receiver. And Nito's a good receiver as well. Um the other guys the thing that, that the point that uh, I like about Nito and Rivera at this point is that they both they're, both of them are familiar with the staff, so that's a big thing. Um, and I just feel that maybe they should carry three catchers, so you have that chance of uh, putting in Nito. And you know you've got to have some young guys there because if Rivera, I know thirty five, I know he's a backup catcher, but you know it's still a lot of wear and tear on the knees, going down, warming up pitches. You're still doing things like that. Uh, Ramos could get hurt. You want a little bit of youth in there, and I think uh, that would be Nito because of his familiarity with everybody, whereas Masik has been playing a lot of first base the last couple of years. So I I, I know they still they use him as a catcher, but he's been playing, I think, more first base than catching. Um, Ali Sanchez, I, I never – I don't know. I saw him in Brooklyn play and uh, saw him play in other places, and I'm just not – they say he's got a great arm, and, and the only – you know, I've seen him throw the ball into center field, but it's not very accurate. Now, he could, of course, be working on that, and he could have gotten better. I didn't see a lot of him last year, but uh, I don't think his bat was that great. It's it's funny because now I'm reading about how he how he's a defensive catcher, and yet, when they first signed him, I thought I read that he was an offensive catcher. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if he changed in the minor leagues. He can't hit anymore, but he can catch real good. Uh, I'm not sold on Ali Sanchez yet. Um, the other guys, 
they just don't know the staff, and that's a big thing with this team and a team ready to contend or or a team that has been contending. They don't know the staff, and you don't want to spend, uh, you know, uh, the first couple of months trying to teach them uh, and struggling through that when you got guys that can come right in as a Rivera and as a, a Nito. And I thought that was a good deal when they signed Rivera again because he is familiar with these guys. So I'm, I'll I'll go with you. I like Rivera, but I'd like to see him if they're going to carry three guys. I think Nito should be the third. Agreed. I'm agreed with Nito on number three. So, you know, with that, we resolved catcher for the moment. Let's talk pitching. Uh, and let's rewind back to the acquisitions, the off-season acquisitions. There's a big, there's going to be a big fight for the fourth and fifth uh, spots in the starting rotation. Uh, that's going to be amongst Stephen Matz, Rick Porcello, Michael Waka. Uh, how do you see this playing out, Gary? Well, I I think it, the, the real situation is going to be for number five, and I think uh, I think Porcello is going to get a starting shot if he's you know, shows anything in spring training. I think it's really between Walker and Mats. And um, I don't know, you know, if Walker can pitch like he did a couple of years ago, it's going to be tough on Steven Mats. Now, of course, it's up to him to come up and pitch well. It's it's going to be an interesting thing, but it's nice. You know, we, we last year we had depth, but it wasn't – the pitching wasn't that – strong in the depth area if it was this year we seem to have even more depth but it's 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 a better quality of of depth if that makes any sense you know uh now if a guy gets hurt you got the chance if walker makes the team then you got walker that could come in if a starter got hurt or you got you can always shift lugo even though he was rated what the number six best relief pitcher by uh, MLB Network or something last night. Um, there, There is some depth there. And as I said, I, I did like the Porcello signing. And uh, I, I like the Walker signing. Hopefully they can get it back. But, you know, last year it really wasn't a starting pitching issue. It was uh, the whole thing that cost us the wild card. It, it, I shouldn't say the whole thing that causes the division, but what cost us the wild card was the bullpen. But we're talking starters now, I imagine. So um, I I think it's going to be Porcello's going to be the fourth starter, and I think the the battle is going to be between Matt and Walker. And I would kind of put my money, I would think, on Matt's because it'd be nice to have to break up the uh, rotation a little bit with a lefty. We we can bleed the bullpen into this somewhat uh, with regards to such. You know, Lugo. I'll, now, I'll, uh, I I want to also interject real quick and say that I, I Gary, we might as well say it costs us division. That we we probably okay. would have had the division had we had even like half of a good bullpen. Yeah. So Seth yeah, Lugo, he's he's demonstrated an inability to uh, pitch effectively on back to back appearances. Should that, you know, put him into the in, in for the race of the fourth and fifth position, Sam? And you know, again, what? How do you, how do you see this fourth and fifth starter playing out? And is pressure on Stephen Matz to say get over the hump? 
Well, um, I am on my way to pick somebody up now, so I will have to hop off real quick. But you, uh, Matt, I, I would like, you know, he kind of worked well out of the, the bullpen last year. So at some point, so, you know, you, you know, you kind of started experimenting with that. And, and I, I think that if it comes to that, then that'll, that, that's fine by me. Um, but uh, I, I think, now, um, Walker had a major league deal. Am I correct, guys? Yes. Yes. Okay, so he'll probably he'll be there somewhat, you know, uh he'll make the team, but the question is where will he be? Um I I think that Rick Porcello certainly uh ideally should be the fifth starter. Um and I I I definitely think that uh somehow you know, it, it, you can get the the most out of Michael Walker. Um but somehow, I just I, I'm not sure if I have as much faith with that signing as you guys do. Uh, but I got I got to get out of here now. Uh, I'll try to give you uh, guys a call back soon, and I'll let you know, Mike, uh, off the air as well. Talk to you later, partner. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, guys. The Grapefruit League games will prove all this out. Uh, I'll throw it back to you, Gary. Uh, Seth Lugo, should he be in the mix for one of those rotation spots uh, again? I'll say it, that he proved somewhat ineffective pitching on back-to-back performances. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, it's a tough call. You know, he's done so well in the job that he's in, and I, I, I think he may be better for this team right now, the way it's constituted, uh, to do what he was doing, to come in some games and pitch – you know, two innings or three innings perhaps, uh, and maybe uh, I'll come in and close the game if the, the, the bullpen's been heavily used. Um, I, I think the uh, – I uh, can't think of the guy's name. The guy with uh, the Yankees had a couple of years ago. Um, the lefty that was pitching all kinds of crazy – he pitched two innings and then an inning he was a Cleveland. Anyway – I, I think he's better in that kind of role to be used here, there, and everywhere in different situations because nothing seems to bother him. And uh, I, I think uh, I think that it's better to keep him in that role, he, even if he needs a day off or you know he goes day to two days in a row and then the day off. I, I think there's enough depth if everybody's healthy. Again, it's if everybody's healthy. But you know, if you you can go through every team in the league and say, well, if everybody's healthy, so uh, yes, it's a lot of question marks with the Mets. But every team has got that that same question mark. You know, I mean, what happens if the Braves lost Acuna and and um, um, the other young guy that I can't think of his name? See what happens when you turn sixty six? You you your mind. <laughs> Now, fair in the blank um, here, a successful season for Noah Syndergaard would entail what? He's got to win 18. He's got to win 17, 18 games. He's got to dominate. Uh, he can't have, a, you know, uh, a, a game where he, he doesn't have to be Cy Young, but he's got to be, you know, he can't give up six runs a game and then come back and throw a one-hitter. That's not going to cut it anymore. He's got to show consistency. He's got to show some domination in that consistency. You're not going to dominate every game, uh, but you, you've got to show 
some degrom. You know, you got to show that even if you don't have your best stuff, you can gut your way through it. Instead of trying to overpower everybody, if you don't have the moving fastball, you got to, you know, hopefully have your breaking stuff, and you may have to use that. You got to show you he, he's got to show he knows how to pitch, and uh, and he's got to be more consistent. Like I said. He, you know, he had games last year. He came in, he gave up, what, six, seven runs a couple of games and like two innings, and then the next game he threw a one-hitter. You can't keep – you can't do that because that doesn't label you as a, as a big-time star. He wants to be a big-time star. He's got to win 17 or 18 in my book, and, and analytics be damned in my estimation. <laughs> you know what? You, you mentioned Jacob DeGrom. So let's go there. In June, he turns 32 years old. So, again, fill in the blank. A successful season from Jacob DeGrom entails what? Well, you know, uh, just being DeGrom, I mean, you know, he wins 11, 12 games and one back-to-back. (laughs) Isn't that something, you know, compared to our childhoods, isn't that something 10 and 11 games respectively? Yeah, but but he you know going back to our childhood, he, he's got the ERA that fits in with the greats from our childhood and the strikeouts and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just got to have you know, I, I think with a, a little bit more breaks and you know, this could be a year where he wins twenty five if everything goes well. You know, if he gets some hitting. How many games did he weave, Michael, last year with a lead? And and the last two years with so leads many. in the bullpen blow. I mean, he could so have won many. 16, 17, 18 the last couple of years instead of, uh, you know, 11 the year before. And I forget what he, what he won last year. Uh, but, yeah, there's so many games that were lost because of that bullpen that, you know, uh, he's just got to be what he can be. And, and the age doesn't bother me as much with him because uh, not only he had the Tommy John surgery, but he's a pitcher. He knows how to pitch. You know, he's the closest thing we've seen to uh, uh, Tom Seaver uh, in a long time from the Mets point of view. Uh, I'm not comparing him to Tom Seaver by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just, you know, I'm comparing him to the coolness, the calmness, the the intelligence on the mound, the thinking through a game when you don't have your best stuff, the grinding out of a game. Uh, you know, we saw both of us saw Seaver pitch a lot. And you saw him with great stuff, and and you saw him with nothing, and yet he grind out a two to one, three two win or something like that. You know, uh, Degrom's got a lot of that in him. And uh, he, he he seems to get more bulldogish every year, and he, he seems to learn every year. And it's really been more fun watching that than anything else he does. What a great pitcher. Uh, you know, just soak it in, folks. That's all I can say. Uh, you're listening to a Metsian podcast, and our guest this evening has been Gary Mack from Mets Musings. Uh Let's uh, get into some of these names, the invitees, non-roster, or minor league signings. And uh, I don't know. You know, we're always looking for diamonds in the rough. 
Jason Shreve yeah. comes to the Mets, you know, from St. Louis, and, and Stephen Gonslave, uh, you know, he might help. He's got a he's got a power arm. He's up there with strikeouts and whatnot. He, he might help. They might break camp. I was looking around. A guy like Rob Whalen, I think he has potential. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I look at some of these other names, you know, like uh, Rosmo Ramirez. I don't think he can offer much. Uh, but there's uh, other people that Mets fans can be familiar with or, or, you know, if you're into the minor leagues, should be familiar with, like David Peterson and Kevin Smith. So I wonder if there's any names on your mind, Gary, uh, that, you know, might find themselves breaking camp with the Mets. I think Gunslaus, if I'm saying that right, he's got a good chance, I think, um, like you said, a power arm, and you can always do that. And, I, you know, Ramirez, you, there's no harm in signing these guys. You give them an invite, and uh, maybe you get lucky. Maybe you get something out of them. And, you know, sometimes they do this, too, to stock the minor leagues for, and for depth if the, they have – a name down there that's got some major league experience and can call up in case of an emergency and, and you never know what you're going to get, but I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of them, but I think a lot of these, or, or at least a few of them will brought in for minor league depth. Um, maybe they'll, maybe they'll trade them for a low level prospect if they show anything, but they, you know, can't make the team. They don't feel they're going to make the team, but they're showing a little bit of something they can always move them in spring training. You know, guys move in spring training all, all the time. So I, I don't, I don't see a lot of guys making it. The, the first guy you, you mentioned, um, what was his name? Sheer. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason Shreve. Shreve, yeah, he could be a, p- a potential too. Um, but I don't think it's going to go much beyond them. Those two, uh, Shreve and uh, Gonsalves. I, I can't see anybody else. But again, you never know. You throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. Maybe one of these guys can actually uh, win one of the bullpen spots. Speaking of which, Jerry's familiar thinks it's a good idea to lose 30 pounds this off season. Well, why didn't you think of that last year? How about that? <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> look, those of us that have a weight problem with our lives knows it's not easy. And, uh, you know, you uh, you sometimes think you've had success at, at a certain amount of weight. Maybe if you uh, lose it, you may lose some of that power or whatever. Um, but now he's, he's, he's a little older, and he sees his mobility is a little bit better. Uh, he's feeling better. He's probably, uh, you know, got more energy and stuff like that. So, so we'll see. Wouldn't it be nice to get him back though to what he was before? Um, it, that it would really be terrific. Would, it would be great if we can have uh, flashes of old Jerry's back, you know. And that said, uh, we need improvement from Edwin Diaz. Uh, he's yeah. been mentioned somewhat this off season by Pedro Martinez. Think that'll have any effect on his performance? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'll tell you what. I, I savaged him last year. I mean, I, I admit it. I beat that poor guy up left and right and up and down on the show. And uh, but I'm hoping he comes back. And I'll, I'll tell you, he showed me something this off season. By he went, he worked with Phil Regan. Uh, 
who I think is terrific. Um, he, he, he's been talking to Pedro Martinez. He's doing everything that he's supposed to do to, to improve that. You know, he's been working hard. I mean, he showed up at the Mets fan fest. He, he, uh, he's been around the city and everything. Um, that to me, I know it's something small, but it, to me, it shows that he's not scared of the city, you know, that maybe New York isn't too big for him. Maybe it didn't kill his spirit. Uh, maybe he's got that kind of fighting spirit that he's going to show us that he's better than what uh, he was last year. And that's the first thing you have to ask, look for. If he's willing to do that now, whether it, it shows on the mound, we don't know, you know, uh, um, I think his age, I don't think you lose your talent that fast. So who knows if, if he can come back and like I said, if Familia can come back and if Patances is healthy, holy cow. Then now look at the bullpen, seven, eight, and nine. That's a shutdown. Well put. Uh, we got Sam back on the line, but very quickly, uh, Gary, your uh, quick thoughts on Jeremy Hefner, new Mets pitching coach. You know, I liked Hefner. I liked him as a pitcher. I liked him. Uh, I liked the way he uh, worked the game and stuff. I'm not crazy about the, the emphasis on analytics, but you know what? It's it's a fresh voice. It's a fresh look. Um, maybe it just it, it just it's a different perspective coming in. And uh, you know, I see Phil Regan's down at camp, so he's still talking to the guys and. And working with guys and helping, he's going to help out staying the organization. So I, yeah, I, I like Hefner. I like the choice. I like the you look as much as I hate analytics. It's it's here to stay. Uh, even though I still believe it was analytics that brought about the whole cheating scandal, but that's another story for another day. Um, but um, yeah, I like Hefner. I think it was a good choice, and I, I really I, – I like the entire coaching staff this year. Okay, Sam, uh, I asked uh, Gary to fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank as well. A good season from Noah Syndergaard entails what? And then, you know, any thoughts on the bullpen? We said, you know, Jeremy's familiar, started a good idea to lose 30 pounds this offseason. Why didn't he do that last year? And uh, Gary brings up a good point that, you know, a trio of familiar Diaz and Patantis, if all three of them can rebound uh, and we have an effective Justin Wilson, et cetera, this bullpen looks pretty good. Noah Syndergaard um, has to be less home run prone, um, which, you know, and, and get back to dominating more often than not. Um, that's basically what I think we need to see. And, you know, we kind of started seeing it from him uh, at the end, at the tail end of last year. I think what Noah seems to be good at is adjusting early on once he has like a few hiccups in like the first inning, you know, and he may end up, he, he may end up, you know, that driving that ERA a little too high because he'll, you know, he'll dominate but then give up like four, uh, three runs at the tail end um, of a, you know, like seventh inning of a dominating start, um, you know, and 
I think like he he needs to figure that that kind of side up. He just needs to dominate on a more consistent basis. Um, with the bullpen, uh, I think Gary brings a great point up about the fact that he's been all smiles. He's been out out in, uh, you know front and center, uh, uh, Edwin Diaz, and um, I was not in the camp that like there's no way he can survive here. Get rid of him. I, I mm-hmm. like how do you do that with what is he like 26 or so something like that? You know it's 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 certainly a piece that you want to give more than one chance to, to uh, bounce back uh, to see what he can do. Because, I mean, he was electric until they, and I'm going to say it again. I, I've always brought it up. They fucking tooled with him during that rain game. And he was never the same since. And it just, it's like it, you, you basically it's a, it's the snowball effect. And that's what happened to his season because he was rather dominant for the first two months and where you were just like, this might be my favorite pitcher overall on this team. Well, other than Jacob DeGrom, but he's so, he was just like, had so much bite and so much nastiness. And even in, in some of those games that he would unfortunately give up a, a home run in the night in the, uh, with two outs. Um, like he, you know, he, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm very curious to see what, what Diaz can do. Uh, with Familia, you know, you didn't even realize how fat he was until you saw the before and after, and you're like, "Yo, you were fat, bro." So that might have been that might be something something uh, to it there. <laughs> and why somebody didn't point that out, you know, that that that's worth asking, I guess. So, gentlemen, unless you have any outstanding issues regarding pitchers and catchers. Uh, we can move on into Mets and baseball history, if you don't mind. Going once, going twice. Let us delve into number 42. Ten people have worn number 42 for the New York Mets in history. Uh, so being that it's such a short list, I'll go through the names, and then we'll pick them apart. But uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, you know, say that number 42 is more famously known for Mr. Jackie Robinson, and we'll get into that in a second. So the list of Mets who wore number 42. Uh, starting in 1964, Riley Elliott, followed by Les Roar, Ron Taylor, world champion with the 69 Mets, Hank Webb, Chuck Taylor, Tom Hall, Ron Hodges, Roger McDowell, Butch Husky, and Mo Vaughn. A nice list. A nice list for conversation that we will start with Mr. Gary. Oh. <laughs> well, of course, Larry Elliott uh, was uh, in the early years. I think he – I don't even remember where he – was he – I don't know if he was a pitcher or an outfielder. I remember the name, but I can't really place him. Um, Ron Taylor, terrific uh, relief pitcher. 67 to 71 uh, that was the on the winning team went over uh when he retired actually became a doctor and was the team doctor for the Toronto uh, Blue Jays for a number of years I believe um the rest are uh, inconsequential the next two until you get to Ron Hodges uh, uh who wore it uh, they're just saying a year here a year and a half I thought he wore it longer than that Ron Hodges was uh, a backup. I'm looking at seventy. I'm looking at seventy-three to eighty-four. Forty-two is the only number I remember him by. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at seventy-three to seventy-four. That could be a mistake. 
Well, anyway, um, a really good backup catcher, good solid guy, uh, a timely hitter. Uh, really, was a big Ron Hodges fan. And oh yeah, yeah, they got it. I see it. I see it now. They got him twice on the list. Ah. Uh. Because they had Tom Hall, who wore it one day in uh, 1975. Uh, let's see, Roger McDowell, of course, terrific relief pitcher with the, with the winning team in 86. Uh, Butch Husky uh, was going to be the next best thing since sliced bread and uh, <laughs> had a nice career. He, he, you know, he, put, he was a good ball player. He just was. Uh, he came up as a third baseman, really wasn't a third base. They moved him to the outfield. They tried him, you know, another one of those guys that didn't have a, a, um, a really a position defensively and um, tried moving him all over the place and, and didn't work. And, of course, his, his first game, uh, I believe, was a no-hitter, and he struck out like four times. Welcome to the big leagues. Um, the last guy, <laughs> what can you say? I don't even remember him playing in a game. <laughs> Mo Vaughn. I don't, did he actually play in a game? Where was I at that time? He actually no, played well, he, he did moments where he hit that 505 foot shot off the scoreboard. So yeah, he does that. He, you know, and, and like that, that, you know, that's one of the fun things sometimes about the Mets is that there's like, you know, we have these little Lynn Sanity moments, very, very isolated, <laughs> legendary moments. But other than that, Movon is not a Mets legend, but he does have a legendary Met moment. Okay. Yeah, that's when that's when Steve Phillips was busy acquiring people who forget suddenly forgot how to play baseball. Movon, <laughs> oh my goodness! But that was a prodigious a prodigious home run that he hit. But, he wasn't. I, I think that. For- year though he didn't really like Mo Vaughn wasn't like the worst first year signing because I th- I mean did somebody take a look at it because I'm, I'm driving but that first year he actually played in a lot of games and I don't think the numbers were terrible I, well, it's funny. You. I, I don't remember him yeah he played in 139 games I don't even I don't remember that yeah I remember <laughs> Man, he must have been a Because it's 2002. Because it's 2002. <laughs> exactly. It was just one of those depressing seasons that, you know, we repress in the deep recesses of our minds, yeah. you know? Must be. Because I, I really. I, and I had season tickets then, too. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah. What can you say? Again, I you know, Steve Phillips, that, that's what comes to mind and how he was running the club at that point. Uh, let me see. I wonder, with regards to Butch Husky, how much Dallas Green either helped or hurt him as a player. I just wonder that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, Ron Hodges, what a member of Bambi's Bandits. Remember that, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> manager, manager George Bamberger at the time, I believe it was uh, yeah. 83, 83, before they hired Davey Johnson. Uh, yeah. Ron Hodges, one of his collection of bench players. That who gave him, who gave them that name? Uh, was it Bamberger or was it the media? Bambi's Bandits. I, I think it was the media. Yeah. Who knows? But who uh, Frank uh, Howard. 
But uh, Ron Hodges is one of those guys, you know, it's cool to grow up with, man. I, at least I can speak for myself. And like you say, Ron Taylor, uh, a great performer for the 69 Mets. I recapped game by game uh, the 69 season last year on my blog. And just going through the box score each and every day, you know, uh, it really it really uh, was made clear to me how important he was to that team. So uh, he was th- he was have- if we have nothing, he else, really was. Say again, Gary. I'm sorry. You guys were. I, I think there was a little bit overlapping. Uh, but what uh, you were asking me uh, about um, just number forty-two in general? <laughs> no, I didn't. But that was my mistake. Sam, number forty-two. <laughs> what say you? <laughs> well, yeah, there. It's basically inconsequential until 1969. Um, in fact, can you read those names again before, Ron, what was it, Ron Taylor's 1969, correct? Uh, Mo Vaughn, Butch Husky, Roger McDowell, Ron Hodges, Tom Hall, Chuck Taylor, Hank Webb, Ron Taylor, Russ Rohr, and Larry Elliott. Hank Webb's a great baseball name. Um, Larry <laughs> Elliott, you know, what can you say uh, about Larry Elliott? No, I, I, I have nothing to say about Larry. That's, I, I, that's a rhetorical question. I, I wonder what can you say? But, um, well, you know what? You are the perfect <laughs> person to segue us into Jackie Robinson. How's that? Well, I, I will certainly uh, get that done. I, I think, um, you know, it's interesting because there are some, some uh, you know, there's a couple champions here. You got Roger McDowell uh, right there. And, you know, you, you remember uh, probably Roger McDowell's most remembered wearing number 42 upside down uh, or not really upside down, but looking like he was upside down. Um, yeah. and yeah, Butch Husky, didn't he have a, Merc- a Mercury Met moment or something where oh, like, there was know. like, he ran into the wall or, or no, that was, I'm sorry. You know what? That was when he was with Seattle. He was with Seattle. There's, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a famous Butch Husky, uh, moment in one of those ugly futuristic uniforms. And it might have been I think, like, the next, he, he like, ran in the wall, like, you know, probably got concussed, but then they made fun of him with a chalk outline in the outfield. And I, 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 I don't think he was playing for the Mets at the time, but I'm pretty sure uh, it was in the um, – those. Uh, oh, he was with the Twins, and it was a Mariners game. Um, but anyway. Angels. That, 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 Angels. The only place the, everybody. The, only, the only – oh, Husky? I thought you were talking about Movon. My mistake. I'll stay out of this. No, but, but it's, it's okay. It's okay, Mike. Um, yeah, with with Butch Husky and, and that, uh, I forget exactly what team he was he was with, but that's what I remember the most about Butch Husky. I don't remember much or if anything at all uh, about him uh, as a Met. Um, but it, you know, the fact that you uh, uh, brought up Dallas Green's name into the mix, you know, just makes me, uh, you know, reminds me that it was oh, it was it was part of that era. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. All these different players around the majors that wore number 42 and are remembered for being number 42. And, it, you know, it, uh, I'm sure they've had a Mo, um, uh, Mariano Rivera day at Yankee stadium, but, you know, technically it's already retired. So are they going to be retiring it specifically for him? Like they're going to be about Jeter. 
just from a ceremonious standpoint. I, I don't think that's, you know, obviously I'm not a Yankee fan, so I don't I pay attention to this on a daily basis, but uh, that's curious too. Um, and, you know, with uh, it, it's, it's interesting, like, of course, Major League Baseball wouldn't have thought about, you know, retiring it right away. And so, of course, people would still be taking number 42, and sometimes as an homage. Um, but, you know, as the legacy grew and as years passed, it, it, you, you know, you come to realize how important it was, even if you understood its importance at the time going through it. But it, it, it is so interesting now, you know, that, like, you have the Butch Huskies, you have the Mariano Rivera's, and nobody ever else except for the one day will be wearing number 42 in uh, Major League Baseball history. And, you know, there are some dissenters, and, and I, I understand where they're coming from regarding uh, the Jackie Robinson rotunda. Um, but you can't deny the power that, that he has. And only the Mets could make Jackie Robinson's legacy <laughs> come into question. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I will only add that just a little public service announcement. Uh, Jackie Robinson Day, just to remind everyone, is April fifteenth. I think it was right of baseball in nineteen ninety seven to his, retire his number. Uh, you know, I think at this point I'm going to stop venting my rage over City Field and what it is and what it isn't. Uh, I don't begrudge I've, the rotunda or, or featuring Jackie Robinson so prominently in it. If only they yeah, would have I, incorporated either a more of the National League New York City history, or or you know totally embrace their Mets legacy. Uh, but yeah. in and of itself, it's a shrine to the Dodgers. So that's all. I, I think if they may, I, I think they've made some efforts along that line to make it uh, more of a, a, a Mets-oriented uh, place, and I, I'd like to see something for maybe a Willie Mays or something too. You know, let's really embrace New York National League. That would be really the nice. thing too is that that in in the process they have made it more Mets, but they've also right. um, they they have have completely ignored the Giants. Completely ignored the Giants. Yeah, completely. And Except well, he was in that. That's, I mean, that's why thought. the seats are green. It's the polo grounds. That's it's the seats. <laughs> it's the seats. Screw, screw. Just get out of my baseball team. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to see them incorporate more of their giant uh, DNA into City Field, so to say. Maybe so, the next owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll spring it all on him and see what they say. Uh, so unless you have any outstanding issues, gentlemen, uh, I think it's time we get into our final word and let everyone go watch the Academy Awards. What do you say, Sam? Sure. Um, my my final my final word is bring on baseball. Uh, here we are. You know, there's a, a, a an entire February of spring spring training ahead of us where you know you start getting a little bit of the taste you you just see you know them training on a daily actual training on a daily basis and then they start the interest squad 
you get a little bit of baseball and the intra squads are always just, you know, fun little scrimmage. Uh, and uh, then we got we got real spring baseball. And if you got SNY or cable in general, uh, then you're going to be able to, to tune in. And, you know, everybody needs spring training. The coaches need spring training. The players need spring training. Uh, the uh, SNY booth needs spring training. <laughs> I think the truck – Sometimes you can tell that the truck needs spring training, and so do the uh, the announcers and the fans. The fans need spring training, too. We can't just get right back into it, even if you've been, like Mike, paying attention to baseball this entire time with the Caribbean baseball going on. So um, you, you still need that, that, that the wheels to, to kind of, you know, slowly start turning at the beginning there, and I'm excited for, for that to, to come. It's always, and, and, you know, little public service announcement today is my birthday. And, uh, you know, it, it's always been a, one of the beautiful times, I think it was like 2011, um, on my birthday, Mr. Met was on the back cover, you know, doing the, the, the truck thing. It was a great photo too. And so one time on my birthday, like the idea of spring training and my, my birthday merged on a, uh, you know, a commem- like for, for me, a commemorative issue uh, that I, I will one day frame, but right now it's just in storage. But I, uh, you know, whenever my birthday is, that means Mets baseball is uh, soon thereafter. So uh, bring on Mets baseball and let's go Mets. Mr. Gary Mack, thank you once again for appearing on the Metsian Podcast. We love having you on. You're an old friend of the show. We love to have you each and every time. So the floor is yours, sir, with your final word. Uh, And in addition to that, please give us another bio. Tell us what you're doing, where we can find it. And again, thank you for your time this evening, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Happy birthday to Sam. I am having a birthday coming up as well, and I'm going to give everybody off that day. It's next Thank Monday. You, it's 17th, so everybody take the day off uh, in <laughs> honor of my birthday. Uh, <laughs> I won't say how old I am, but <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, yeah, let's get let's get to baseball. You know, we had enough of this tomfoolery all winter with the uh, – all the connections. Uh, it's funny, you know, I forgot to mention that I'm also doing a general baseball show with a friend of mine from uh, South Jersey. He's a Philly fan. His name's Rich Baxter. He's got a, a podcast called Philly's Talk. And uh, we do a show called the Baseball Talk Radio Show that's available at anchor.fm, Baseball Talk Radio Show. Uh, and we talk uh, general baseball. We did it for a couple of years, then we quit for a while due to different things going on. Now we're back doing it again, having fun uh, talking baseball. And, and uh, we were discussing the other day, how, how was your off season? And, uh, you know, he, he thought his was kind of long. I said, mine was surprisingly short because there's been so much nonsense with the Mets, with the managerial uh, merry-go-round and then uh, the, the sale, uh, the no sale and whatnot. So I thought it, it flew by, but it's, it's, you know, it's tiresome now. So now it's time to get talking about real baseball, talk about the story, especially as a, as a podcast, uh, it's uh, very difficult not to, um, not to have something to talk about, you know, 
So now we'll have hopefully some stories. We'll have uh, we'll have some of the other nonsense. I'm sure there'll be more stuff coming out about the sale uh, or the no sale, uh, I should say. But uh, you know we'll have some baseball stories, and that's uh, you know can Cespedes stay healthy? Can can the pitching staff stay healthy? And a lot of it's got to do with health. But uh, do we have enough depth in the outfield? Uh, you know why did they bring in Matt Adams? All of that stuff. We can talk about, and that'll be great. And I want to thank you guys again. And, and as, as uh, Mike said, I'm available at MetsMusings.com. It's uh, the home of uh, my Mets podcast, and we have guests on and talk about the different things. And, and I've had a, a lucky enough uh, last year to have Ron Darling on, and we're trying to get him on again. And uh, had some of the 69 Mets on last year, and it was really a great year last year. And this year we're going to try to uh, do the same thing, get who we can get, have bloggers on, have podcasters on. We get Mike and Sam on, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, that's that's about it. And the golf show. So if anybody's interested, they can look uh, look for MetsMusings.com and TalkingGolfWithGary.com and uh, Anchor.fm slash Baseball Talk Radio Show. <laughs> And thanks for letting me plug all of that. (laughs) Absolutely. We love shameless plugs. You kidding me? Uh, That was episode 42 of the Betsy and Podcast, uh, Pitchers and Catchers Edition. Again, I'd like to thank Sam. And on behalf of our other partner, Rich, who's, I don't know, 35,000 feet in the air right about now, uh, thank you for spending your time this evening on the Betsy and Podcast. Go enjoy the Oscars. I hope your favorite movie and actors win. How's that? Joy to all. There you go. Sam, take us home the only way you know how. Only way I know how while I stare at the skyline of Manhattan. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Let's go. Thanks, Mike. Good night, everyone. Good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 